are listening to the Open Nesters podcast. Why be an empty nester when you can be an open nester? Open to new adventures, relationships, and passions, and your aging vitality, spirituality, and sexuality. The Open Nesters podcast, reimagining the empty nest. We're not empty nesters. We're open nesters. Our home, our hearts, our lives are open to endless possibility. Open nesting is so much, just so much more fun. There's so many people to meet out there. There's so many friends to make, and there's so much sexual fun to have. Hi, this is Tessa, executive producer of the Open Nesters podcast. So happy you're joining us and welcoming you to explore your openings in Act 3. On today's podcast, we have Dr. Tammy Nelson. Tell us about her, Tessa. Well, Tammy has a PhD as a sex relationship expert, and she's an international speaker and author and psychotherapist, and she has decades of experience. She's the director of Integrative Sex Therapy Institute, a TEDx speaker, and the host of another podcast, The Trouble with Sex. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it from Dr. Tammy Nelson. Welcome back to the Open Nesters podcast, Dr. Tammy Nelson. How are you today? I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to have you back. So Tammy was my supervisor when I did my master's for um, around, around sexuality and helped me kind of step into some therapy training, sex therapy training. And she's been riding high in so many ways, giving us so much insight including a recent New York um, Daily News. Is it, it was the New, no, York New, Yorker New Yorker, Yorker, big New Yorker magazine article. You should look up because it's really about how polyamory and, and the world of opening our eyes and our hearts and our relationships is so becoming something a lot of people are talking about. So we're going to talk about her new, uh, your new card game about dating because I love the, the talking about dating and games anyway. And I want to just, you know, ask you about um, about over since the last two years, you were in season two when we're, this is season four we're in. Like, what do you feel like has changed, has shifted? And then maybe it relates to this article of in, in society. So what do you see the changes in marriage? Mm, it's funny because, you know, many years ago now, I wrote The New Monogamy, which was redefining your relationship after infidelity. And people wrote me hate mail saying that I was creating infidelity. I mean, from therapists, I got this mail. And they were writing me letters saying that I was, you know, destroying marriage. I wish I was that powerful that I had any power over anyone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, after that, I wrote a couple more books. The most recent one that we talked about now, it's been two years this month, I think being open monogamy, which is a guide to co-creating your ideal relationship agreement, because the people that read new monogamy said, you know, why do we have to have an affair to create a relationship agreement? We shouldn't have to have a crisis. Everyone should do this. So that was a huge shift just in those couple of years where people said, you know, we need to talk about our relationship agreement before anything happens instead of after. And I didn't get any hate mail. I got a lot of people who responded to that book in a really positive way, very internationally, which hadn't happened really prior to that. You know, people were saying that they were opening their relationships in many flexible and fluid ways and having a primary and central 
partnership, which made them feel really secure in who they were and actually improved their relationship at home. So, so you don't talk about in your book, I don't, I don't think so. I read open monogamy. Relationship anarchy is a kind of an extreme form of, of non-monogamy because it says all people are kind of equal in my life. But I think having the primary relationship, I know Amir and I have that kind of relationship. Is that mostly what you see couples coming to you for? Their help and keeping their primary important and opening it? Is that mostly what you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're still talking about a small percentage of the population. It's still somewhat fringe, but that's only because a small percentage of the population is reporting that they have some kind of open relationship and they don't identify as polyamorous and they don't identify as being relationship anarchists. As you can imagine, that's a uh, sort of a fringe of even polyamorous. and But more people than ever before have some kind of flexible and fluid arrangement in their committed partnership. So they might have an emotional uh, monogamy, but their sexual relationship is really quite flexible and transparent and but they may not they might still need to listen to your podcast they might still need to read my book they might still need to feel comfortable coming out about their relationship or identifying as someone who has an open monogamy so we don't really even know how many people have open relationships because we you know it's so funny like people who are in open relationships don't really want to be put in a box but the open relationship community has a lot of boxes to, to name and so identify the relationship. Labels, labels are really, really getting harder for me to hold, too. So I love that you're saying this because I, and I also wonder, I mean, somebody could say that 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 for, for one person, someone who goes on vacation and has a hall pass with, to, you know, as some crazy one time thing in 10 years, that's going to be like something they can't handle. And for, for other people, that's their opening of a relationship and their fluidity and agreement. So exactly. it, could not, it doesn't have to be anything that we have to dictate. And that's the sexual part. I actually want to ask you about the emotional, because actually in February, we had a couple who just talked about swinging and they want to keep their emotional intact, which you hear about a little bit more when it comes to non-monogamy. I wonder, I mean, because polyamory deals with, and I think it's interesting, and that's why I like the idea of integration of ourselves. Like, how do we integrate all aspects of ourselves in ways that that even if it's we fulfill ourselves more, I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, I know that's a very, very large question, but within a marriage, so someone's coming to you and they're just needing to express themselves in a uniquely different way. And is it always sexually? And how do you help them do that? And I want to ask, especially now in the open nester stage, which we talk about, kids are out of the house. We're looking at each other anew. I mean, like you've written in this article and, and the New Yorker, the, the pandemic set people back to looking at each other much more closely. What do they really want? And opening conscious communication. So, what who, what what do you what do you suggest to people? What's the opening in the openness stage? Well, I think that you know we don't necessarily look for another person. We look to be another person. And so, every partner that you have, every person in your life, you're a different person with that person. And and so I think that for for people that are comfortable in open relationships, they honor and understand that, that it's not that, you know, you being with someone else takes away from me or from us because you're really exploring a different part of you. I think the integration part and living in integrity, you know, it's not a moral issue. It's more of 
Can you bring that part of you home and integrate it uh, in our relationship or just in yourself? You know, if you're discovering those parts of yourself, um, that's wonderful. But then can you grow as a person as a result? You know, can you can you integrate those new parts of you that you've discovered being with on vacation and having sex with other people or being in a sex only outside relationship or being in a really loving multiple partner relationship? Can you find those parts of yourself and um, really expand who you are as a person? I think that's the the ultimate benefit of having multiple relationships, whether you have multiple friendships or uh, sexual partners or loving polyamorous relationships. What a wonderful experience that we can love more than one person. Exactly. So love, that's that's what we need. So, I mean, it sounds so corny, but we need more love in the world. And so we can open our capacity by finding these new people to open ourselves, open doors to our in our hearts. And so I do believe that friendships, even though people don't come to you for friendship advice, I do think knowing how to hold and integrate those friendships and those kind of pieces of yourself and know how to then communicate with someone. I mean, there are people who are threatened by their, you know, there are people going out with each other's friends. I mean, how do you help them in the marriage counseling? Because that is also part of this open nester stage. How do you approach the beginning of someone having a breakdown about not knowing how to hold from that secure attachment place, from the jealousy place, from the not feeling complete, you know, space? How do you start that off? Well, I think most people in their partner selection phase are going to choose someone that's probably going to have different needs than them and recognizing that your partner is not you and they're going to have a different family history with their attached adults and children. They're going to have different needs with their friendships. You know, one of you is going to be more introverted. One's going to be more extroverted. Um, One of you is going to want to stay home and watch movies and the other one's going to want to go out clubbing and dancing. (laughs) I mean, that used to be me, but not anymore. And and just recognizing that the differences are what makes life interesting instead of we have to be the same and, you know, and trying to align your partner with what your interests are, whether they're friends or uh, socialize in ways that we socialize. I, you know, I find for myself since the pandemic, I, I honestly have to force myself to go out. It's not like it was even pre pandemic. Like I, if I'm, um, I went to see a band recently and it got really crowded in this club. And I realized, God, I have not been to a club in years and especially a crowded club and everyone was dancing really tight. And I was like, yeah, I don't think this is for me. Like I was a little paranoid about all these germs. And I was like, wow, I have not felt this way for a long time. And I think to honor that we can change and shift and have different moods and, um, you know, my, my, I was with two other people and they were very respectful. They were like, no, I get it. You know, we can go. And it wasn't my band anyway. So it's okay. leaving. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'll give you an example just on new year's Eve, like for the first time ever, I did want to go dance with my friends. It was my friend's party and my husband doesn't love to dance. And he didn't want to, you know, he, he really wanted this quiet time in the studio. He wanted to prepare for the new year. He wanted his own time. And for the first time, we were like both had not a moment of guilt about we're not going to have that kiss on New Year's wow. Eve. I mean, you know, I think it's really important like that. That's a little shift for us. But for some people that are coming to you, it could be a, a shift in terms of giving each other space. I mean, space, I think I heard a, 
past the five love languages could be the sixth love language. And I think, and so I wonder, for example, I know you have these wonderful cards out that I'd love to talk about. How do you evaluate that? Like, it's a great date night conversation. And how, how do you help people? Or maybe you want to give us some of the, the questions in your new set of cards called date night. Yeah. So the date night card deck really came as a result of my husband and I talking on a regular basis about the things that we appreciated about each other. And I mean, you can share appreciations every week and it's never going to get old every night. Always good. Opens your prefrontal cortex. It gets you out of your brainstem reaction. Get, reduces all your triggers, and it just makes you feel good. Yeah. And then we would share things we appreciated about each other sexually, and things that we liked that we wanted more of. And um, so when I wrote the date night card deck, um, there's different sections in there. There's like the appreciation section, and then there's the sex section and then there's the open relationship section. So it's basically like asking each other, you know, tell me three things you appreciate about me or take off one item of clothing or or is it okay to kiss someone else in front of each other? Like oh, there's a wide range of questions that just bring up conversations. And before you if you're just at the beginning of opening your relationship before you do anything you should just talk it to death until you're at like communication fatigue until you're like <laughs> oh my god it's two o'clock in the morning and we're still talking about this and because it's the what if conversations I think that prepare you for the New Year's Eve that you spend separately or the you know, the argument about going out with people that you don't necessarily agree on and you want sort of the veto power. Like, I think the more you can talk about those things, the more prepared you are to talk about them when things are not going well. And the more prepared you are to do what you did to like be differentiated and have your own life and your own space. And because you're comfortable talking about how it feels and what it would be like. So, so how about date night cards for people who are just starting to date? I mean, can they use it? I mean, it sounds like it's great for open nesters, but there are many out there who are going to be, you know, divorced people that are now dating. And I just think, how do you bring up the idea of having these kind of conversations over date night? And then yeah. you can be so much more honest at this stage of life, which is what I love about being older. Yeah, I think I think it's perfect for people who are getting to know each other because I mean, I'm not trying to be a commercial for the cards, but I think anyone getting to know each other should have this level of conversation um, because if you can start off a relationship or getting to know each other, talking about things besides, you know, where did you grow up and do you have brothers and sisters? Um, it begins the uh, intimacy of intimacy, you know, like the the level of connection that most people to be honest, are looking for. Most people don't want to stay at the surface and they want to really get to know what the person's really about. And it's a good setup for, you know, ongoing physical intimacy. So however you can explore where people are at on the monogamy continuum, you know, it's like a continuum from, are we going to be traditionally monogamous all the way to, are we going to have relationship anarchy, and there's a million stages in between, it's a good way to challenge that conversation with someone new or someone relatively new to you. And even a long-term partner, like some of those conversations can be 
kind of enlightening. <laughs> like the, the person you thought you knew, maybe you don't. You, like you said to me very early on when I was studying with you, there are implicit, you know, so, so many things are, are are more explicit. Like when we go over our finances or now we're retiring or now we're going to go over how now, now what we can do and, and vacation and, 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 and even working out schedules, whatever it is that, that we're changing and we're okay about. But sexuality and our real intimate feelings and our vulnerabilities are so hard for us to be really work out agreements and that's what all of your work is about mm-hmm. it's like this idea so so the the i mean the book open monogamy is is taking the concept of monogamy which is this idea of having a primary person mm-hmm. and then talking about how to become more fluid to become more of what each of you need and and so i mean are there other questions around that that you would tell people are are and what if they're having a hard time like you know, there's there's reactivity in this game. There's a problem when you go out and do it. Like, how do you help? How do you guide through that if you're not there helping them? Yeah, I think um, what I would recommend is for people to talk first about like their red lines. Like, I don't really think that a boundary is something you can put on someone else. Like, you can't give someone else boundaries. Like, your boundaries are your boundaries. My boundaries are my boundaries. But you can. Uh, declare sort of your red lines, like your guardrails. Like this is for me, my red line. Like I, we can't, we can't go beyond this because that's going to like be my end zone. You know, maybe it's like not using condoms or maybe it's like we can't um, date people in my office or we can't tell my family or I don't want my kids to know or whatever your. Or if it's, or if it's somebody that's just working out like for a vacation trip, I mean, we have. I have to be with you. I mean, I've heard people say that I don't want them to have them kissing someone else, which is kind of a strange one to me. Actually, I wanted to ask you about that, like with with people opening up their relationships, because to me, intimacy is so much about connecting to the heart. I can't imagine not kissing someone. But how do, how do you deal with people that their boundaries are just so different than someone else's? And then how do, you know how how do, how do they come to an agreement? Their red lines. Well, I can totally get when someone says, "I don't want you to kiss anyone else." I think. You know, some people just purely want sex only relationships and for them kissing feels too emotionally intimate. Like you said, you might want the intimacy, but other people don't. And they just want, you know, to sort of have objectified sex only relationships. I have a friend who just wrote her dissertation on um, women and sex only relationships and how more women than ever before are looking for just sex. And in my clinical experience, Um, women are the gatekeepers of open relationships. And so men, you know, in heterosexual relationships, men might come up with the idea, but it doesn't happen unless the female says, yeah, let's do it. So I think most people have what I call the monogamy gap. You know, they might want something different than the other person wants. There might be a gap in what your expectations are. And that's where people get stuck. But also, that can be where the energy is like the negotiating of that energy. Like, I don't want you to kiss anybody, but my boundary about that might be kind of flexible. Like if you're in the pool in the foam party or something and somebody cute comes along, I might want to watch you kiss them, but only if I'm there, only if it's in front of me, like, you know, to have a conversation, not so much about the kissing, but about your own boundaries around what that means and why, and to really, you know, challenge each other to think about what's so important about that and um, to talk about what's in that monogamy gap and 
where you each are going to land, you know, if it's super rigid, then there's usually a reason. Um, But most people in general tend to be somewhat flexible in the moment. (laughs) It's important to talk about that before you get to that moment. Or or it's important to talk about before you get to it, but sometimes you don't know your boundaries until you pass them. Yeah. Or your red lines until because you don't know to bring it up. Yeah, until so you're up it could again. be that you were saying you're going to try to to be open at a club and then someone kissing and then it's hard, and so or or that you want to stay in the same room or all those things that people use with the sexual part. Mm-hmm. I think emotionally because we 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 started out swinging and we don't do much of that anymore. I don't. I never loved anonymous things, so I, I do feel like we've had to work through a lot of what does intimacy mean to me, and, and it's really de- been able to open me and develop me further. Because my because Amir is is really somebody who is generous and wants what we call in polyamory compersion wants to see the best for me, mm-hmm. and and so if we just come into it wanting to be happy for the others' best selves, then we're already starting off so much better. Mm-hmm. But it's hard for a lot of people. So some people retract. I, I don't want to say retract into monogamy. They could decide that they're only a little monogamish at certain times, right? I mean, how how do you help the ones that are really struggling with this? Even the concept the man wants to open or the woman wants to open and there's a monogamy gap, there's a big struggle. How do you how do you help them look at that more deeply? Well, you can't manipulate someone into opening their relationship, right? And you know this. So you can't threaten or cajole or, uh, or manipulate or, um, uh, you know, people, ha- you can't, it can't be collusion. Like you really have to both be willing and and it has to be a very generous willingness, a very generous yes. And it has to be for both of your pleasure because otherwise, you know, people feel coerced into doing it and it will, um, it will subtly, if not um, grandly destroy the foundation of your relationship. So both people need to really be aware of, of any form of coercion. And I think that the people that I see that come into therapy um, one person tends to feel coerced in some way. They don't both feel willing or something has happened where they've sort of hit a wall and they want the relationships that they're currently in to change. Like one person has developed feelings and now they feel threat. The other person feels threatened or, or they really need a veto and they're not able to do it. Like something has shifted in what they thought their expectations were. Or like you said before, they had an implicit understanding of how they thought it was going to go. But when right. it really comes down to it, it's much different in reality. And people don't, are uncomfortable talking about it. So that's why getting to a therapist early instead of waiting till your marriage is breaking down is so important. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, the cards are only one thing. They're not a guide. If it's, there's a struggle there, then, then you suggest that you see somebody, I would assume. I, I do think, though, that this idea that we have fantasies that we can bring in once these things get opened up, and that's what the cards I'm sure talk about, um, we don't have to be going outside of the marriage either. We can bring what is monogamish, you know, in, in flirting. I mean, it doesn't have to be a sexual opening. And I just want people to hear that, even though, you know, I know that. So this article, just to kind of circle back to, as we finish up, and I want you to talk about your upcoming retreat but this article does talk about how that's opened a lot. People are, it's amazing. They don't have statistics like you said before, but that that people are looking at their lives. And I think, especially in act three now, um, I mean, kids had it more, more easily because fluidity, identity, sex, gender, 
was something that they had to stand differently for and so that they're easier to talk about it. But our age people aren't, especially on the conservative Northeast, I, it's amazing how I, we've come out to all of our friends and we don't have any issues with it, but people are amazed and they think it's still very radical. <laughs> but, uh, but you're hearing about, maybe it's only in big cities, you're hearing and, the, and what is more of the research showing about people really exploring this area? Well, part of what the article in The New Yorker was talking about is how um, open it's been in like um, in the popular media. So on TV, TV shows, um, you know, sitcoms, movies, um, you know, it's really about sex and drugs now. <laughs> like everyone's in an open relationship and they're all doing psychedelics. Like this is like this is like our generation has now grown up. We're like in our second adolescence, and we're all, <laughs> we're all doing, doing the drugs we did in high school, except a little bit more advanced and a little bit more scientific. So we, you know, are appreciating the benefits of legality and the things that are beneficial for our brains in a different way, and we're also you know, living longer than we've ever lived before. So we still are relatively attractive and healthy and sexual for much longer than we've ever been. So the the zeitgeist is, you know, we'll keep having sex. Like, why would you stop? And so it used to be, you know, by the time you were my age, you were done. Like you were over the hill, you were past menopause, like it was over and you're probably, you know, dead within 10 years. <laughs> like it was over. And so... Now, you know, we're expected to be sexual well into our 80s and 90s even, you know, with Viagra, Levitra, Cialis, joint replacements, hip replacement. And hormones. So, so, so who are you attracting for your upcoming Richie? Tell us about that because this is going to be on in February. So I think it has time for people to get signed up. Um, it's actually in March. So I know this is not evergreen, but. Um, there is a couple's retreat I'm doing in March in Joshua Tree in California. And it's really for anyone who's at a turning point in their relationship. So whether you want to become more sexual, more passionate, more open, or you're struggling in any of those areas, this is a good, it's a good retreat. It's a good way to get away and have the space and the time you need with your partner, um, with a professional who can kind of lead you through a lot of these conversations. So if anyone's interested, they can tell me that they heard your show, me on your show, and I'll give them a, a partial discount or, or a scholarship. Wonderful. Yeah. So that's great for everyone. Is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Because I know you're tight with time. Well, I understand and appreciate that you brought up that there really is a continuum of monogamy, whether it's, you know, you're just sharing your fantasies, you're watching movies or porn together, or you're reading books or you're listening to this podcast, you know, all of that is part of the continuum, whether you're, you know, talking about opening your relationship as a way to just add some juice or whether you're going to clubs or sex parties or dances on New Year's Eve, like whatever, whatever you're doing, as long as you talk about it, you're transparent about it, you're honest with each other. Um, I think it's, our expectations that uh, make things exciting as well as, you know, can create trouble and betrayal down the line. So it's really a challenge to our own 
courage around how honest we can really be, not only with our partner, but with ourselves. And that's the real key. Like, how honest can I be with myself about what I really want? And then can I tell my partner? And that's integrity. And that's the integration of our life that we can then look at with our own with our own honor. Um, and, and Amir and I will probably do a little summary here. But um, as you know, I, I feel like a lot of the, my sexuality con, um, connects to my spirituality and my growth as a human being. So, so I think there's so much more to this conversation we could have, and I know you're limited with time, but I always value that you take some time to be on with us. Thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I love your show. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Tammy. Tessa, I want to begin our summary with a disclaimer that we are not endorsing us as Tessa and Amir or the Open Nester, any type of relationship uh, to our audience open relationships, swinging, monogamy, monogamish, we're not actually recommending one thing to another. Every couple have to choose their own. And that, that's a big part of Tammy's work is this conscious communication. And I, I know that if people have gotten to our summary and they've been listening to most of this, which is about non-monogamy uh, and, and her book about open monogamy is a fluidity. And so the idea is that we always want to expose people to the edge here in many different things about thinking differently. So opening the continuum of what is it that excites us as individuals for what we need in our lives is the discussion at this stage of life. Correct. And there is a spectrum from monogamy to total open relationship and polyamory. There's a big, big spectrum. And that spectrum for everyone to test their own limits and boundaries. And, and and I believe it's sometimes hard to know those boundaries, but the books that you can read or some of Tammy's books for sure and listening, as we said, to podcasts, start just getting you thinking. Um, I love the card idea. We, we're going to order them ourselves because it's fun to do with, with, with people because it helps us go into that, that, that taboo subject of discussion around our sexuality and needs and desires and longings and and I just feel like that's something we want to open up. We want to have those discussions, especially with the people closest to us. Correct. And I'm remembering the genesis of our swinging lifestyle oh, a couple of decades ago, I would say, at least. And we started with, we did those cards ourselves. We made those uh, three by five cards. Remember those? Yeah, that and, was that was just for like also like what she was said, like take off a piece of clothing or, right. or what would be your fantasy to do and... Because who talks about fantasies when you're just getting to know a new person or a new couple or what? Just Correct. As a discussion, but we've been to these uh, resorts like Hedonism and Desire when we were on the, on that first many years, and people talked about it. it's like bearing your soul. It's so much easier to talk to people about it when you actually go away. So that would be my suggestion because even if you're not going to be completely anything, well, a label of a swinger or a label of anything else. But you want to try something new and you want to feel something new to be able to then discuss it. And that's what she's saying is really have the, until you speak yourself all night. Stay up all night till you're, till you're sick of talking yeah. about it. Instead have of an auditory saturation. It. Yeah, instead of avoiding it. Yeah, yeah. I, again, what I'm referring to is uh, if anybody wants to try any of these lifestyles, it will require communication. I mean, for us, when we started we progressively got comfortable with all our situation. And what was uh, taboo for us or 
uh, as Tammy said, red lines for us uh, in the beginning were not uh, a couple years later. And what was red lines a couple years later was not a couple, you know, five years later. So things change and you progressively get comfortable with other uh, boundaries. So it's really for every couple or every individual to test on their own where are their limits and where do they want to start and where do they want to end. And uh, if anyone interested in developing any of these lifestyles, it will require heavy, heavy communication. And, cor- and courage. And courage. And courage. Yeah. Listen, that's the, the balls. To, and, 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 and tits. Tits. Have tits and balls. Yeah, tits and balls. And if you don't have any, grow some. And what I'm trying to say is one need to actually want and to have a desire. You may listen to this podcast right now and says, ooh, wow, swinging, monogamy. You know, I, I just want to be with my uh, spouse, and that's about it. And it's not just the man or just the wife or the, or the women that uh, basically uh, putting an end to any of those thoughts. It uh, can be in either side of the couple. Absolutely. And, and if you want your relationship to remain sacred, the, that person ha- is the one that's holding that sacred. Maybe the, maybe the fantasies is something you're going to explore. So you find other things to do that I, that idea. Correct. But to each his own. And again, I repeat it. And I don't want to sound redundant. We're not endorsing one way or another. Correct. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more about it from the Open Nesters podcast, there are plenty in our library right on our website, theopennesters.com, double in the middle, S at the end. Please visit us and visit the wide array of library and resources center. And there is a category for all, if you go to the under listen either the whole library of, of podcasts, 150 plus, or you can go to the sex and alternative lifestyle ones if you're interested in this kind and just listen to those kind. So we, we really appreciate you sharing and helping us grow. It's been an amazing journey for us because we feel like we're growing too as we do these interviews and learn. Absolutely. And welcome to season four of The Open Nester. Subscribe. Subscribe. That's very important. We are surprised how, how many people uh, listen to this podcast every every week more and more yes we'd love you to follow us on social media as well instagram facebook so thank you again till next time this is amir and this is tessa and we'll see you on the next episode ciao you have been listening to the open nesters podcast a production of kiwi publishing and media executive producer tessa crone music by Yoni Avi Patat. Audio engineering by Lucid Sound. Web design and blogs, PJ Ewing. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms. To learn more about each episode and guest, please visit us at theopennesters.com. For questions or to be a guest on our podcast, email tessa at theopennesters.com.